This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hi there, it's Tuesday, May 3rd. Welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV. And if you're listening to us on the Coindesk Podcast Network, we love you for doing that. Appreciate you. I'm Zach Seward, Deputy Editor-in-Chief at Coindesk. I'm joined by Will Foxley. He runs content over at Compass Mining. I'm joined by Jen Sanasi, who really is a jack of all trades in the Web3 world. And one of those trades is hosting the show and starting us off with the story of the day. Jen, go. All right. We are going off to India. So Andreessen Horowitz is focused on growing the Indian startup ecosystem. The VC firm is planning to invest $500 million in the promising startup landscape in the country. So India has the second largest internet market in the world and has been turning out successful startups, particularly in the financial services sector. Well, I'm going to kick this down to you. We're seeing a lot of investment in India. And when I think about this, I'm kind of juxtaposing it against the really heavy regulation we've been seeing. We've been seeing in India. I don't know. What did you take away from the story when you read it this morning? That's exactly where my mind went as well. The regulatory changes we've seen in the last few months in India has really been a headliner, specifically the tax changes that happened. Basically, they brought the crypto tax law, which previously really didn't exist, into line with where equities were taxed, about like a 30% capital gains tax for crypto trading. That had a huge backlash among the crypto enthusiasts within India. A lot of exchanges saw volumes drop precipitously. A lot of people were also thinking like this could be the end for cryptocurrency adoption within India because of that high tax status. But when you see a headline like this, you're saying, nope, that's not the case. People are actually still investing here. Andreessen Horowitz, obviously huge name in the space, dropping a ton of money into this market. And for good reason, right? There's a ton of awesome exchanges in India, a ton of awesome projects out of there, and a ton of awesome builders in India. Polygon, I think, is the group to think about, the project to think about. Uh, they recently rebranded, but they are still like the team to look at in terms of who's coming out of India and who's building on top of Web3 products right now. Everyone is using them for different projects, building on top of them, using them because they are a good scaling solution for Ethereum. They have come out of India. So Zach, I want to throw it over to you. To me, this is a really bullish headline and pretty awesome news to see after the regulatory info we got over the last few months. Super interesting signal, right? Andreessen Horowitz, they of the multi-billion dollar crypto funds who have been investing rampantly around the world, and especially in the US, now see this as an opportunity moment for the Indian crypto scene. Super notable that they're committing 500 million to this effort and that they think, hey, you know, the sky's the limit in a really important market for crypto's future. So the fact that they are committing specifically uh, to this market segment, again, does speak volumes about the momentum that the Indian crypto community has established in recent years. And again, that regulatory moment and people in the venture capital world seeing this as an opportunity to strike while it's still fairly early in a regulated crypto scene in that market in India. I will say A16Z has really ramped up its regulatory chops, especially in the US, hiring former regulators to go fight that fight in DC. And it's gonna be interesting to see if they do the same on the human capital side now that they have a specific Indian focus going forward. So interesting headline. And yeah, the timing is certainly notable. Jen, tossing it to you. Yeah, so I didn't actually realize how big the startup ecosystem was in India and how fast it's growing. I, I was reading this morning that uh, Indian startups are the second most represented in the latest accelerator batch at Y Combinator, which I thought was super interesting. The regulatory landscape in India isn't only about taxes, right? 
So recently, the Indian IT ministry directed crypto exchanges to store user data for five years. And there's more happening on the regulatory front, especially when we're looking about privacy and what the Indian government wants to do with all of the information that's coming from these crypto exchanges that are exploding in India. And so I wonder if we're going to see something similar happen to, to what we're seeing here in North America, where the heavy regulation will start pushing some of these really innovative startups to look at jurisdictions outside of India because it's just becoming too hard to innovate, which would be so sad, especially when we see the talent and the ideas and innovation coming out of the country. Well, to zoom out a little bit more, I think it's important to look at where people in the West are investing money and what countries that they're willing to put dollars into. And look at China. Last year, they banned Bitcoin mining, they banned Bitcoin trading, they banned a lot of things around the cryptocurrency industry in general. It's a huge economy that is now missing out on all this angel investments from the West. And that money is now moving to India, which is easier to interact with. They're obviously more comfortable working within those laws and jurisdictions. And entrepreneurs in China, just as well as there is in India. But because the, the decisions the Chinese communist government made, people don't want to invest there and they can't invest there. So they're moving to the next market, which would be India here. And I think we're going to see this trend continue where a lot of Western dollars from Western Europe, United States, Canada, elsewhere, are going to find pastures in India. And pretty soon here, I think we're going to start seeing that those two economies, and this might be happening already among a lot of circles, these two economies are on par with each other. And it's not really a case of, hey, we're investing in India. It's a case of, hey, India is investing in the United States. India is investing in the Western Europe uh, because these two economies have grown up so much together. But I'll boot it to Zach up next. I'm up next. I will take it. I will run Excellent. with it. Are you ready? Let's talk institutional DeFi. Big old market maker, Jane Street, Wall Street trading firm, is doing some DeFi stuff. They took out a $25 million loan through a particular DeFi protocol. They have plans to take out maybe $25 million more. And this is all being denominated in USDC. Interesting signal, I think, for the institutional DeFi world. Uh, you know, we've heard a lot of noise about traditional Wall Street firms seeking yield in these tight economic times. And now they're looking to DeFi as a place where they may be able to be involved, at least with Jane Street. So this is notable to me for a number of reasons. One, Jane Street ramping up its crypto activity. Jane Street, famously the home of Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX founder and CEO before he became FTX founder and CEO. Now, Jane Street playing a little bit of catch up and doing some capital market stuff in USDC in the wilds of DeFi. Really interesting to see the institutional DeFi narrative kind of pick up speed this year. And I think this is an early signal of continued adoption and embrace by some of Wall Street's biggest names. Will, I'm going to throw this uh, your way. Uh, when you see $25 million in USDC taken out through a DeFi platform from a big name, like what's your initial thought there? Yeah, this is only the tip of the spear. I think a lot of these DeFi platforms are really going to grow uh, across the board. So let's take a look at Aave, which is obviously has nothing to do with this story here, but it is an important protocol within space. They've created a few different products that cater just to institutions with the goal of bringing in all this money into DeFi, right? DeFi is trying to rebuild financial markets from the ground up. You can't do that without some liquidity. You can't get best prices without liquidity. So you have to bring in this outside money and construct tools that they're able to use. That comes down to a lot of it, KYC. Are you able to KYC people in these platforms? So we've seen teams like Aave building out these things. And now we're seeing others getting into it as well. Like Jump Street, this is a big name to get into it. Like seeing any of these people jump into it. $25 million might not seem like much, but they're committed to doing more later. And I expect to see this 
continue happening. What could hamper this though is lower DeFi yields. If we go into a bear market and if the tokenomics for a lot of these projects starts drying up, like we saw on DeFi summer two years ago, then I think we could see some people getting a little scared staying in this area. Like you said, Zach, people want yield on things right now. Bond market isn't a great place to be. Equities, not a great place to be. Look at Netflix, took a nosedive last month. Uh, a lot of these places are just not great places to park money right now. What is a good place to park money? It's crypto. The thing with crypto, however, is it's still volatile. Yields can disappear in a second. You might have great yields for right now, but that 20%, 30% yield could drive very quickly and you're left holding a bag of terrible tokens that are never going to see sunshine again. So I think that is the one thing that people should be aware of. Zach, I'll throw it back to you, though. I think another risk, you know, you mentioned the yields drying up, but another risk certainly is an, you know, another DeFi exploit, right? This is a big name partner. Uh, this is a big name name on the back of Clearpool. And hopefully the security audits have been, because I could imagine people trying to uh, extract money through exploits in ways that we have seen in the past with various DeFi protocols. So I think there is that kind of reputational risk. And I think, hey, we're putting 25 million in now. We're going to try this out, make sure our money doesn't get rugged. And then we're going to see what happens after that. I think be the yield shrinking or the exploit, the threat of exploits, those are two factors I think that are still going to be really important for how and how heartily institutions embrace these DeFi markets. But, you know, again, to see capital markets on DeFi from big names in the market making and trading space, really notable. I think we're going to see more of these names pop out. Similarly to how we saw big names embracing Bitcoin as an asset, now we're going to see potentially big names on Wall Street embracing DeFi, their chosen protocols, the ones that they've done the due diligence on, the, one they, the ones they've kicked the tires on. We're going to see them trying to get yield out of these systems in a way that hadn't previously been accessible to them. Lots going on here, but I'm going to kick it to Jen. Yeah, I had a bunch of questions that the both of you already answered. And so when I was reading this, I was like, oh, that's really notable. And to Zach's point, you know, this is the first time that a Wall Street institution has borrowed through a DeFi protocol. And I think this is exactly what you said. This is just signaling to other Wall Street institutions that are probably going to jump in over the rest of the year. I think it will be really interesting to see how regulators respond to this because these institutions are going to be operating within the DeFi ecosystem. Just like you said, Zach, they will be susceptible to hacks and rug pulls. And when that happens, I just wonder how Wall Street is going to interact with the regulators to kind of rush into regulating the space since more of these traditional financial players are now going to DeFi. So I think that will be interesting to watch. And I think that that's a great segue to our next and last segment. It is a good segue. I do want to note one more thing. It's Clearpool's really interesting protocol that was used for this uncollateralized loans, not something you often see in DeFi. Normally they are like well topped over 150% plus collateralization. So interesting of note for that protocol and something I'll definitely have to take a look into. So let's move over to SEC, which is beefing up its team. It's going to add another 20 enforcement officers towards the crypto beat that brings the total to around 50. This is for stuff for scams like ICOs that don't turn out how the investors want them to turn out, to NFT contracts, to, to anything under the SEC's purview in terms of crypto. They're going to go after bad actors. The SEC has been criticized time and time again for failing to act. Uh, on bad scams and for also going after protocols that people think are fair investments. It'll be interesting to see, one, how these 20 people add to crypto enforcement. Are we going to see further actions against past protocols and current protocols that have been skirting the rules, quote unquote? 
Another interesting plot line here is what is Gary Gensler up to? I think a lot of people have been frustrated with some of the actions he's taken since he came into office, notably that a Bitcoin ETF has not been pushed through. Will we see a Bitcoin ETF go through because they have more manpower uh, to look into this market itself? It doesn't seem like these 20 people are allocated towards that, but I think people are still concerned about that question more so than anything else. And having more people on the team might free up some cap space for him to go after a Bitcoin ETF and really define that for investors. Zach, I'm going to toss it over to you. Yeah, my view on this one is that enforcement is a lagging indicator. We're still dealing with the ghosts of the 2017 ICO era. You know, you get these press releases from the DOJ saying, we've arrested so-and-so, or we've come to a settlement with so-and-so. And it's all these projects from, from like crypto 1.0. And so we're going to get like three years from now, four years from now, there's going to be all sorts of crazy stuff going on. NFTs, and especially DeFi. I think the DeFi stuff becomes really, really interesting. Do these things look like securities? Do they act like securities? Should we consider them securities? Or are they yield-bearing instruments in a more traditional sense that are outside of the purview of the SEC? Now the SEC is hiring a bunch of people to actually look at this stuff, to look under the hood for all these protocols. And it's going to be really fascinating to see what unfolds over these next two, three, four years as the enforcement, again, is a lagging indicator of what had been going on in the market when the innovators are out innovating the regulators, just the way the innovation regulation dynamic works. So three, four years from now, it's going to get wild, especially with NFTs and DeFi. It's going to get strange. I think this is almost a direct response to all of the scams and hacks that we've been reporting on. Every single time there's a DeFi hack, the amount just gets more and more. I feel like we, we say this is the biggest hack in DeFi history, probably every time we talk about a hack. And so now the SEC is almost doubling their team to look into DeFi, NFTs, coin offerings. And I hope that with doubling the team, they double their perspective on industry. I hope that we can see some things like Hester Purse's sandbox get looked at again and rethunk, and we can see some solutions to promote innovation and fixing some of these problems that lead to the hacks with all of this brain power. If it doesn't, unfortunately, I don't think it's only investors who are going to suffer. It's people who want to join these communities and take part in the tech in a way that is maybe not investment first. And to the India story, I think it would push startups and innovation away from the US. So hopefully we can diversify perspective in the SEC and this is a good story and we can see some nice regulatory frameworks so that we can start solving these problems and not just pushing people away from the tech. So fingers crossed, that's my optimism for today. Jen, you're always so optimistic, but <laughs> I'm, I'm going to throw some shade on top of this. Like, no. I don't know if adding more people to the <laughs> government agency is going to fix anything. Like, the Maybe. problems are still going to be there. There's still going to be scammers jumping in. People are too slow to stop these things. They can't stop them. Like, we're talking about the age of computer investment. Things are over in a second. Look at last week and look at the NFT drops that happened. How fast did that happen? Do you think the SEC is going to have the time? to get on top of that for at least two years? I don't think so. I look back at some of this stuff from 2017, 2018 that they're still trying to prosecute against. It doesn't make sense to have a government agency which has to go through the court systems, has to operate on paper, go against these projects that are operating with digits and bytes. Just doesn't add up. And I don't think adding 20 more people is going to do anything. Maybe Gary Gensler figures something out, but I'm not super bullish on him. Zach, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, it's 20 more cops on the beat, right? It's 20 more of those... <laughs> protector memes, you know, like, oh, I'm protecting. <laughs> like 20 more protectors are out there looking at that crazy <laughs> DeFi <laughs> that you're looking at right now. 
Stable coins are mentioned in this. <laughs> NFTs are mentioned in this. The whole gamut Everybody. is mentioned, right? So you got 20 more protectors on the beat, making sure that you're protectored from dubious investments. <laughs> and again, it's just going to get really interesting, I think, to see who ends up falling under the microscope of US regulators who to date have taken sort of a regulation by enforcement stance rather than a regulation by productive guidance and regulatory framework stance. And this is something that is maddening to many builders in the space. It's like, hey, just like set the rules. We'll just do it that way rather than regulating by enforcement, which has been what has happened to date, just because there are a number of bad actors that keep popping up. So it's a little bit of a whack-a-mole. Who knows? I'm kind of with Jen, though. I think maybe this Yay! might free up some, some brain power for <laughs> wow. um, some productive regulatory guidance, but I don't know. We'll have to wait on that one. I just imagined 20 more people with that math meme just so confused. Like, what is happening? Mm -hmm. Equations flying everywhere. <laughs> Word. That's good stuff. We'll get that on the show next time. We'll just do like the meme, meme desk. All right. <laughs> good times, everybody. It's Zach. It's Jen. It's Will. We're the hash. We'll be back on Wednesday. It'll be fun. Till then, have a great day. Check us out on the podcast network if you hadn't already. It's the hash for your ears. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. See you. See you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.